Uh, I hope you brought a Bible. Uh, open it, if, if you will, to Luke 15, and we'll continue our, our study of the parable of the prodigal son. I'm going to read you only verses 11 through 24 this morning, so you follow as I read. And he said, there was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country. And he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate. No one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and before you I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring the fattened calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. The grass withers and the flower fades. But the word of our God. It is. Oh, that blasted famine. You know, the, the text merely says this. It says, and when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. That, that famine couldn't have come at a worse time. I mean, um, it says in the text that he'd, he'd already spent everything. All his money's gone. I mean, um, where did it go? And, and, and how, did it, how did I spend it so fast? And, and, and where, where are all those those wonderful new friends that I, that I thought I had. You know, guys, um, no one ever counts on a famine. Um, no one even hinted that there was a possibility of a famine before he left his father's house. Um, you know, famines, they, they come in all shapes and sizes, and they are... Um, they are uniquely suited to, um, to each individual in particular situation. But that thought never crossed his mind. Where do you go? What do you do when in my headlong pursuit of sin, a 
famine shows up out of nowhere. What now? And, and remember, guys, when, when I say pursuit of sin, what I'm talking, or what I have in mind, and what I think the parable has in mind, is distance. Distance from the Father. So I'm way out here away from the Father, and a famine just overtook me. What do I do now? To whom do you turn when, when the world plays a dirty, a dirty trick on you? Um, how do you cope with the, um, the stark realization when it, finally, when it finally dawns, I've been duped. I've been had. I mean, you can blame somebody else, and the, prob- the prodigal son probably did. But that doesn't, that doesn't help much because you're, you're still broke, you're still jobless, and you're getting awfully, awfully hungry. You wake up one morning and, um, well, the prodigal son woke up one morning and he, and he saw his, um, his reflection in a little puddle of water and he thought, what have I become? Um, Steve Brown a name that some of you know, um, told a story years ago about a, a counseling case that um, came to see him, a, a young woman, a woman in her 30s, came and, and he said before he, he, she ever got to her, the chair, she was bawling. Now, you know that crying women make us preachers really uncomfortable. But um, she was bawling and he said, I really didn't know what to do. So I, I just sat there and waited for her to, you know, maybe gather herself. And um, two or three minutes passed, her, you know, she just crying her eyes out. And, and finally, she reaches into her purse, and she pulls out a photograph, a picture, and she hands it to Steve. And Steve says, you know, I really didn't even know what I was looking at. And then she began to cry again, and through her tears, she said, that's me. And look what I've done to her. (laughs) You know, you can curse the famine. You can call it bad luck. You can say it's unfair. But it's not going to change the face that's in the mirror. And it was all brought on by that blasted famine. Think about it, guys. Um, you know, without that famine, there is no story here. Um, and in that sense, the famine of verse 14 is, is more pivotal. It's the most pivotal point in the whole story. It's even more pivotal than verse 17, which says that he came to his senses. Because, you see, he would have never come to his senses without the famine. And, and, and while I was thinking about that, I, I started doing some study on um, just... The role of biblical famines. And I, and I came up with my own, I, I created this word, ladies and gentlemen, um, famineology. I began to study famines. And, and you know what a famine is? A famine is when God withholds something or, or maybe afflicts for his own purposes. And the Bible is full of those things. For instance, 
um, there's a famine in Genesis 41. In that whole story of Joseph, you remember him? Joseph was the guy with the coat of many colors and, and his brothers despised him and ultimately sold him into slavery and, and he goes down into Egypt. He gets bought by Potiphar. Potiphar takes him home. Potiphar's wife tries to seduce him. She lies about it. He ends up in prison. But while in prison, uh, Pharaoh has a couple of dreams that nobody can interpret. So they bring Joseph up to interpret the dreams and he interprets them and he tells Pharaoh, he says, what these dreams mean is that there is a long, severe, seven-year-long famine that's on its way. And it was that famine, as you may recall, that brought Joseph's brothers down from where they lived to buy some grain so that they wouldn't starve. Yeah, the same brothers that sold him into slavery. But you see, ladies and gentlemen, the point is, without that famine, we don't have a story of reconciliation. Or how about that famine in uh, Ruth chapter 1? Um, I think it's verse one. Where remember the famine in Ruth? It was the famine that led Ruth and her or Naomi and her husband to leave Bethlehem and go to the land of Moab. And while they were over in Moab, uh, her son meets a Moabite woman and marries her. Um, and then the, that son dies, and then the other son dies, and then her husband dies, and Naomi is left alone, and she wants to go back to Bethlehem. So she is headed back to Bethlehem, and Ruth says, I'm going with you, and she's not to be deterred, so she goes. She comes back to Bethlehem, and there she meets a man by the name of Boaz. She marries Boaz. Ruth does. Ruth marries Boaz. They have a few kids, and then they have some grandkids, and among those grandkids is a guy by the name of David. So you see, without that famine, there is no David. And with there's no David... There's no Christ. Or how about the famine in, in 1 Kings chapter 18? You know that story. It's the story where the king of Israel, um, uh, Ahab, uh, is so mad at Elijah that he could kill him. So he launches this, this search for, for Elijah. And, and he finds him. And um, that led to that big confrontation between Elijah and the prophets of Baal up on the top of Mount Carmel. But you see, ladies and gentlemen, without the famine, Israel would have still be in the clutches of Baal. Still, Israel would still be worshiping idols. And then there was that other famine, the one in the days of Elisha the prophet. Remember that one? That's in Second um, Kings eight, where uh, Elisha is uh, raises. Uh, is living with this Shunammite woman and raises her son from the dead. And then the king of Israel later is, is introduced to this Shunammite woman. And she tells the whole story about what Elisha did. But you see, without the famine, there would have been no resurrection. And then you come to this story, Luke 15. And ladies and gentlemen, without the famine, there's no story. In every instance of those five that I've recounted for you, in every one of those famines, God sends them. And he sends them to produce a redemptive outcome. God uses famines. He sends famines. Famines do his bidding. God is behind famines 
Job says so, chapter 39, verse 12. 2 Kings chapter 8, verse 1 says so too. Moses says so in, in Genesis 41. God has thousands of famines at his disposal to do his bidding. Now, guys, there's some lessons that we all ought to learn from this course in feminology. Here's one. To plan a life without factoring in the possibility of famines is sheer idiocy. But even worse, ladies and gentlemen, that idiocy is is the result of unbelief. To, To live a life like I've never thought of the possibility of famine just to live a life like the prodigal son, pre-famine, who, um, who launched this life of rebellion against his father, never dreaming, never dreaming of a famine. It, 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 another lesson in famineology. You know, guys, it, it says something about us that it takes a famine to make us consider a return to the Father's house. You see, famines have a way of convincing us that we're wrong. And prosperity could never do that. Prosperity tells us that we don't have any needs. Famines. Famines convince us otherwise. You know, guys, it, it, um, it wasn't enough to be friendless and it wasn't enough to be broke with this kid. It wasn't enough to pawn his ring and his coat and perhaps even his shoes. He's at a dead end. He needs to get back to his father. And you, and you know what it was? that first gave rise to that thought? A famine. Um, guys, the, um, the faraway country will use you up, and then it'll spit you out. I read, I don't know who said this, but they said, the world uses for its pleasure the one who uses the world for his pleasure. But a famine, but a famine can give you a real dose of reality. Here's another lesson from our course in feminology. Folks, famines are not our enemy. Sin is. The famine's not the enemy. The prodigal son can curse the famine all he wants. But the famine's not the enemy. Sin is the enemy. This was all fun and games for a while for the prodigal son. And then comes comes a famine that leads him into abject slavery. He wanted to be his own boss, and he ends up being the slave of somebody who won't even feed him. 
Guys, what you're seeing here in uh, verses 15 and 16, that's not employment. That's slavery. The pigs are happier than he is. The pigs at least eat. He's starving. And, And oh, by the way, what's a nice little Jewish boy like this doing feeding pigs anyway? He wasn't supposed to be close to pigs. Now, how does all this happen? How does the photograph of the five-year-old girl become this? It's, it's always complicated, guys. Our stories are all different. But I can tell you this much for sure. It will always happen. Sin always pays off like this. Eventually. And it's the famine that presents this boy with a bill for all of his rebellious choices. And hopefully he learns a couple of lifelong lessons. Hopefully we've already learned them. But if we haven't, let me go over them real quick. First of all, Sin is a waste. It's a waste of time. It's a waste of money. It's a waste of life. Guys, sin is expensive. Sin is your enemy. Obedience is your friend. Sin sin puts you in a downward spiral. Sin places your life on a downward trajectory. Do you believe that? Ladies and gentlemen, people rarely do. Until there's a famine. It's like um, Alexander Solzhenitsyn. You you've, perhaps have heard of him. He, was, um, he wrote that award-winning Gulag Archipelago. And in, in there, he says, oh, I thank God for the famine. Actually, he didn't say famine. He said prison. But he's saying the same thing. Because it was the prison. It was the famine that helped me to see what sin had done to me. Sin will waste you, my friend. But the other lesson, hopefully, that we've already learned and that hopefully um, the prodigal will too is that you have an enemy of your soul. Satan is a liar. He's the father of lies. Jesus said so. Hebrews, the author of the book of Hebrews, says that sin is deceitful. Um, you know, Satan never tells us. He never tells us about the famine. 
Never does sin present itself to us in its true colors, saying, oh, by the way, I, I'm, I'm, I'm your deadly enemy, and I'm out to ruin you forever in hell. You know, guys, find me one person. I dare you. Find me one person who will tell you that sin has lived up to its billing and that they're glad they sinned. You know, before, um, before I started, before God led us to open this church, 23 years ago, I was on staff at Central Church and um, I was a singles minister <clears throat> and I loved it. Loved my job. I loved working for Jimmy Latimer. I, I, had a, I had a good time with him and still have a good time with him. And, um, but of course, as you may or may not know, in, in the world of singles, the issue is sexual sin. <laughs> and um, I, I, I was out with, I mean, out. I was at a lunch appointment with a young woman who told me, and this is a quote, ladies and gentlemen, this is a quote. She says, sex is just what we do. <laughs> okay. um, but every time I was in one of those conversations, then I was in a bunch of them. Bunch of them. I would always say this. I would always say, um, you know, I'm not so concerned about how wicked your sin is. It's not that it's so wicked. It's that it's so stupid. You're slicing your own wrists. Take, take homosexual sin. You know, that's the one we evangelicals love to hate. We're outraged over, um, over the sin of homosexuality. Guys, back off. Homosexuality is sin, yes, yes. But it's no more sin than adultery or pornography. All of that is out to ruin you. You know, I, I know I've said this before, and, and I, if you haven't heard me say it, I, I mean, you probably have, but, it, you know, it, it troubles me about the evangelical world that we will celebrate a, a movie like Sex in the City, which I guess dates me a bit, but... We'll, we'll really go out and, you know, rent that video or whatever, and we'll look at that thing and uh, have a good time. And then we're outraged over homosexuality. Ladies and gentlemen, that is sheer, pure, unmitigated hypocrisy. I, I think the homosexual is looking for the same thing that the fornicating heterosexual is looking for. And that is a meaningful relationship. And Satan has lied to the both of you. And by the way, what have both of these sexual sins produced? Um, disease, abortions, serial partners, rampant infidelity, divorces, venom, damaged kids. And even poverty. Isn't that great? Ain't that wonderful? 
That's how Satan keeps all his promises, ladies and gentlemen. It takes a sinister devil to blind us to all of that and to convince us that that kind of, that for me to be happy, I'm going to have to put some distance between me and my father. But sometimes, sometimes God in his mercy sends a famine. Let me tell you this about a couple more things about famines and I'm done. You need to know this about famines. Um, their, their impact is limited. Because, as you see from this parable, the one thing that it doesn't produce in the prodigal son is a desire to be a son. I'll go back to one of the hired servants, not a son. You know, you, you would think that, that this famine would bring this boy to rock bottom. But it doesn't. Uh, you would think that, um, that all those lonely hours of walking the streets alone would break him. But they don't. You would think that all those nights of sleeping in the fields, hungry, or those days of lugging around a bucket of pig slop, would change his heart. But it can't. And, and you see that in the parable. You see that when the, fi- the famine finally robs him of all resources, what's the option that he chooses? Oh, I've got to get home again and go back and be, my, the, the, be restored to my father and, and be his son. No. No, you don't see anything like that. What he says is, I'm going to go back. Well, first of all, I'm going to get a job first. I'm going to get a job. Hopefully it's a, it's a high-paying job, you know. But he can't find one of those. And so he ends up feeding the pigs. And um, then that ain't working too well. He's still starving. He's, so he's already failed twice. I'm going to get me a high-paying job. Oh, I didn't do very good at that. Oh, I'm going to give me. Oh, I got that other job. Oh, I'm starving in this job. You know, ladies and gentlemen, a pigsty is a funny place to find self-confidence, isn't it? And yet, there you see it. There he is. Okay. Well, you know. Um, I did, that didn't work out very well, and that didn't work out very well. And so now, one final roll of the dice. I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to go back to my father, and I'm going to say, Father, listen. Father, um, I'm not here to be your son. 
I just want to be an employee. I'll earn my way. I can fix all this mess with a little hard work and a little ingenuity on my part. I'll earn back the money, and I'll pay you back by the sweat of my morale. That's his plan. And it's your plan too. Some of you. In fact, guys, the option that the prodigal son chooses is is the option that all broken people choose. Moral reform. Self-help. Pull myself up by the bootstraps. Do-it-yourself kit. I can't tell you how many times I've had people sit in my office who have just been or in, either in the midst of or have been ravaged by some kind of famine and they look at me with with serious eyes, and they say, I need to get back in church. And I say, no, you don't. (laughs) Don't do that. Here's what you need. You need to get back to the Father. You don't need to try to fix this by your own moral energies. But when it comes to seeing that my life is not working the way I thought it was going to work, The option that you see this young man choose is the option that inevitably is chosen. I'm going to fix this. I'm going to work hard. I'm going to make some changes. And I'm going to fix this. I'm going to go back Not to the Father. I'm going to go back to respectability. My dear friend, I'm sorry that you have lost in your eyes your sense of respectability. I know that's not fun. And I'm not making fun of that at all. But the thing that you need is not the respect of people. What you need is to go back to the Father. To 
try and fix this yourself is another pack of lies that Satan has sold, has sold you, telling you or convincing you that you can do it on your own. And you can't. Oh, I know I'm separated from God, but I'll fix this. No, you can't. No, you can't. You know what you need? Above all else, you need a Savior. And there's only one of those. And even a famine cannot convince you of that. Only the Holy Spirit can convince us, ladies and gentlemen, that what I really need, my my biggest need, is a Savior. Not a job. Not respect. Not more money. I need a Savior. Do you believe that? If you do, it's because God the Holy Spirit has convinced you. I can't, nor can a famine, but he can. One more thing, and let me, let me quit. There's one more thing I want you to know about famines. You know, guys, it says something about God that he is willing to inflict pain on us so that we might not continue down a path of self-destruction. But way beyond that, Oh, what it says about him that he was willing to send the ultimate famine, inflict the ultimate pain on his own son so that you and I might be brought home. You know, ladies and gentlemen, all famines have a redemptive intent. But the famine that we call the cross, where God withholds his smile from his son, there, ladies and gentlemen, is where you find redemption in all of its fullness and all of its beauty and all of its glory. The Father inflicting pain on his own son so that we could come home. Guys, the only path back to the Father is through the Son, his only begotten Son. His name, of course, is Jesus Christ. And through his son, 
we become adopted sons. Our Father, I I pray that you will um, remind us that what uh, we're tasting right now is um, perhaps intended to show us uh, just how empty our sinful choices are and that we um, we are subject to be lied to and deceived and to fall into schemes and traps that are set for us by the enemy of our souls. Father, would you remind us that the ultimate outcome of rebellion and distance before you is is tyranny, it's slavery, uh, which will lead to eternal separation from you in a place that is called hell. But Father, would you also convince us that you have gone to unbelievable extremes so that we might have a path back home. A path that is a person. Jesus Christ. Might he be seen this morning in all of his saving wonder. We ask it, of course, in Jesus' name.